Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. I'm glad you're here today. Welcome. Am I loud enough? Yes. Okay, good. Um, we're glad that you're here today and uh, hope God's going to bless you in a very special way. Are, uh, are you warm enough? Mm-hmm. You warm enough? You like this weather? No. I saw a church sign the other day that said, um, the devil called and wants his weather back. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I can certainly understand that. But we're glad that you're here in this cool sanctuary today, uh, out of the heat, uh, but also surrounded by warm fellowship. And we're, we welcome you. We welcome our guests especially. And if you're a first-time guest uh, today, we'd like to ask you to... Um, Drop by our hospitality table after you leave uh, and pick up a little gift that we have for you this morning. Just a few announcements. Let me remind everyone of our, of our attendance sheets that's on each row. We'd like to ask is, if everyone would uh, uh, take that and to fill it out. Give us as much information as you feel comfortable giving to us. Uh, check the appropriate box on there. And especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter that comes out each Thursday, uh, please be sure to put your email address on that. It's a good way to keep up with what's going on here at Community Baptist Church. Uh, just to remind you of a couple of things, uh, beginning this Wednesday, we'll be having no Wednesday activities during the month of July. Uh, we, uh, we're just canceling everything. We're, it's hot out there. So stay home, stay cool, stay inside, stay cool, and, um, and be a part of that. But we'll be starting back uh, going strong in August, but there will be no Wednesday activities during the whole month of July. Uh, on July the 10th, however, our Joy Lunch group will be uh, taking an outing to Camp Breckenridge in Morganfield, and uh, that'll be a, a wonderful trip. Pam, do you know what time we'll leave? About 10 o'clock. Good, good. Okay, we'll start at 10, we'll leave here at 10, and we'll be back probably somewhere around 2 or 3 o'clock. Uh, and that is to, to see the museum at Camp Breckenridge and eat at the feed meal. And uh, if you would like to, to be a part of that, please contact Juanita Osborne or Sandy Reisinger. Uh, and now, I believe our youth have something they would like to say. They're going to be headed off to uh, the, uh, the, the youth trip tomorrow, and um, tomorrow morning, bright and early. And so we need to be in prayer for them uh, as they go to uh, Panama City. I think uh, Nathaniel and Kelsey are going to say something now. And everybody else? <laughs> Good night. Um, on behalf of the youth, we would just like to say thank you for your support of our spaghetti dinner. Um, I think we raised almost $1,500 for... All right. Yeah. Woo! Um, we would also like to thank everybody for supporting us and... Uh, paying for the donations at the auction because that really helped us. It really helped us out a lot, and it's pretty much because of that that we have enough money to pay fully for our trip to Florida tomorrow. Woohoo! 5 a.m. Thank you. We're going. 5:30. 5:30. Whatever. At least I'd be here on time. <laughs> Thank you so much, and we'll be in prayer for you during this this week as uh, as you travel to Florida and travel back and have a great time while you're there. Now it's time for us to greet each other, so let me, let me uh, invite you to stand and uh, greet each other in the name of the Lord.
join in and sing with us. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great. Time for our children's moment, so I'd like to invite all of our children to come forward. Uh, Miss Pam is up here, and uh, she's got some things she would like to talk to you about today. So come on up, children. Come on forward. Am I? Can you hear me? Okay. I'm on. Hi. They were so pretty at the wedding last night. Well, we're a small group, but I'm glad to have you all. If you all, if you could name something that you had, and it was taken away from you, and you miss it, can you think of anything that you have? Any, any, anything, toys, anything that you really would miss? Well, as an as an older person, I have a couple, three. Okay. For one thing, my clothes dryer broke this week. And as I was hanging clothes out on the rack on my deck, I thought, oh, I don't want to do without my dryer. Then a dear friend of mine, who will remain remain unnamed, uh, her washer went out this week. And as she hauled wash into my house and did some wash, we said, boy, we can't do without washers. But. When that St. Friends air conditioner went on the blink yesterday, we've almost put that the first. That right now in this heat, we don't want to do without our air conditioning. But you know, when we think about all those things, we can do without them, can't we? We, we can do without them. But one thing, as we approach the 4th of July on Wednesday, better known as Independence Day freedom. We're free. We're free people. And as Pastor Tim's going to talk this morning, as a result of celebrating that day, we're able to come where we are today to church with no one telling us how to do it, when to do it, or whom to worship. That's freedom. 
And that's something we don't want to live without. And we can compare those two things. So those things that we think of during the, during the week or whatever, we can, we can do without those, but not without these freedoms that we celebrate the 4th of July. One other thing this morning. How many of you ever helped with a garden? You ever grown, you ever grown something? Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Flowers. Flowers. Food. Everything, don't we? All right. So, we watered that garden, don't we? Water it, water it. Well, you take your garden and you just make a bigger garden and a bigger garden and a bigger garden. You know what we have? A farm. And that farm, when it plant, the farmer plants the corn and the beans and all, what do they need? Rain. And you know what we've been without for weeks is rain. And we're in what's called a drought. And I cannot imagine what it is like to wake up in the mornings, our farmers, and know what's happening to their livelihood right out there in the field because of lack of rain. So this morning, I want us all to join hands, and I wish you all would out there too, and we're going to have a special prayer this morning. And we're going we're to pray for the farmers, but we're also going to ask for rain this morning, that we need rain, okay? Dear Lord, we're so grateful, grateful for all of our many, many blessings that you have given us as a, as a people that worship you, we praise you in every way. This morning we want to hold up in a special way our farmers, our people who, by growing the crops and providing those foods for us to eat, they are needing rain. And we ask this morning, as you provide, you will provide, that we could see some rain in the near future and help to maybe uh, save some of the crops, whatever. We will thank you, and we thank you again for the blessings to this day. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please join me in our responsive reading for today, titled True Freedom in Christ. It's printed in your worship folder and also will be on the screen. Theodore Roosevelt. It is necessary for the welfare of the nation that men's lives be based on the principles of the Bible. No man, educated or uneducated, can afford to be ignorant of the Bible. George Washington, to the distinguished character of a patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of a Christian. Abraham Lincoln, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and enriched us with strength. We have vainly imagined that all our blessings were produced by some wisdom and virtue of our own. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. We love this land that we call home and honor those who sacrifice themselves to preserve its freedom. Yet we are but visitors here. There is something within us that urges us on to our true home, the kingdom of God, where we can be truly free because of the sacrifice of one man whom we honor every day. We celebrate our human-made freedoms guaranteed by our Constitution, but mostly we celebrate our freedom in the one who has set us free indeed. Amen.
be seated. Good morning. Our scripture comes from John 8, 31 through 36. To the Jews who, uh, who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we, uh, we will be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone uh, who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no uh, no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to uh, to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. bow with me please dearest lord and father we come before you thanking you for all the wondrous gifts that you give to us daily please be with us now as we dig deep into our pockets and give back to you what what is but just a minute portion of what you have given to us so greatly please be with us throughout the rest of this service in jesus name we pray amen
Thank you, Tim. You know, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what it's all about. Listen very carefully to these important words. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe we're going to show them up here on the screen. And if, if you would like to read them along with me, feel free to. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. What we have just read is the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. And it is not scripture, but it is hard to imagine it coming from the mind of human beings without the benefit of scripture. We will not say after reciting it that this is the word of the Lord, but we should say in unison and without hesitation, 
Thanks be to God. For you see, the First Amendment guarantees the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press and freedom of assembly and the freedom to pursue justice. But the little known secret of these words is that Baptists were the driving force behind them. Did you know that? We were. So what I would like for us to do this morning is to to take a look at how our Baptist forefathers and foremothers got to these truths of freedom and how we can remain true to them even today. And so a large part of today's sermon will be a history lesson taken from our Baptist roots. You first need to know that our Baptist heritage comes from the separatist movement that trickled throughout parts of Europe back in the 1500s and the 1600s. This was a movement that included Baptists and Quakers and Mennonites and other groups. And and the reason they were called separatists is that they separated themselves from the state-supported Church of England and established autonomous local churches with no connection to a political or church hierarchy whatsoever. John Smith rejected the idea that British law required that every citizen automatically be baptized as an infant and added to the roles of the Church of England. And he rejected the fact that the Church of England not only had religious authority, but also civil authority, even over those who did not espouse the Anglican faith. And so what John Smith did is he baptized himself. I've never seen this done before. But he baptized himself, and he went to Amsterdam where he founded the first modern Baptist church away from the persecution of the Anglican church in England. Thomas Helwes was a part of his group. Some of you know the name Smith and Helwes. That's the publishers of many of our Sunday school material. Thomas Helwes was a part of his group, but he felt led to return to England in 1612. And he wrote a book titled Declarations of the Mystery of Iniquity, in which he called for a complete toleration of religion and the complete separation of church and state. Here's what he said in that book. He said, Our king is only an earthly king, and he has no authority as a king except in earthly matters. And if the king's people are obedient and true subjects, obeying all humane laws made by the king, the king can, can uh, require no more. For a person's religion is between God and themselves. The king shall not answer for it, neither may he, the king be judged between God and a person. Let them be heretics, Turks, Jews, or whatsoever. It is not the right of earthly powers to punish them in the least measure. For these words, Thomas Helwes was thrown into prison where he died. During the 1600s, many separatists and Puritans fled the persecution of the Anglican church in Britain and moved to America. For them, the old world was worn out with religious strife and persecution. And the new world, in the new world, they felt that God was giving them an opportunity to establish the kingdom of God on earth. But unfortunately, almost immediately when they got here, the persecuted, especially the Puritans, became the persecutors. They immediately did what they stringently resisted in England. They wed the church with the powers of the state. And they passed laws that required people to adhere to their brand of Christianity. They passed laws requiring church attendance at their church. They required adherence to certain theological tenets such as infant baptism, the redemption of Christ, and the immortality of the soul. Only church members were given the right to vote in civil matters. 
And they even made it against the law to speak negatively about their pastors. (laughs) Thank you, Jerry. Any deviation from these regulations brought swift and harsh punishment from the civil authorities. For a minor infraction, provisions would be withheld for maybe a week or a month or sometimes more. Sometimes infractions would be met with a a public flogging or a public humiliation as one was held in the stocks in the town square where people would be ridiculed and mocked having rotten vegetables and eggs and feces thrown at them. For the crime of blasphemy or speaking ill of their pastor, a hole was bored through their tongue with a hot iron. So we must know that when we say that America was founded on Christian principles, these are some of the principles we're talking about. Principles of retribution and punishment. Simply for holding a different opinion. But that's what happens when you wed church and state. They gang up and become bullies to those who have dissenting views. It is, the, it is a Christian version of what happened in Afghanistan when the Taliban gained political control there. This fundamentalist religious Muslim organization used the political power of the state to press its religious beliefs. And they severely punished anyone who did not follow. And what happened there happened in our own country In its early days. And if we do not guard this cherished tradition of the separation of church and state, it could happen again. In Massachusetts, Henry Dunster, the first president of Harvard University, was removed from his position by the government power simply because he did not agree with the idea of infant baptism. John Clark was put into prison. They publicly whipped Obadiah Holmes in the Boston Common. In Connecticut, the civil authorities there confiscated all of the lands and the possessions of our Baptist forefathers and foremothers and sold them simply because they were Baptists and not Puritans. And do you know what they did with the the proceeds from the money they gained from selling that Baptist property, they used it to build a Puritan church and to support a preacher for their own brand of Christianity. So in essence, they used the power of the state to steal our property to use for their religion. Many who persisted in non-compliance with the religious slash political authorities were banished from that region with the threat of death if they returned. In Massachusetts Bay Colony, all Quakers were banished from their lands. Some of them came back. Four were hanged by the local government simply because their faith was different. In 1635, Roger Williams was banished from Salem because he objected to the political authorities punishing people simply because of their opinions. And so he went and he established Providence, Rhode Island, and the first Baptist church in America. Rhode Island became a place where people of any religious persuasion or no religious persuasion were welcomed. But folks, that's what, happen, what happens when the church and the state are too closely tied. The state becomes the strong arm of oppression for a theologically narrow-minded church. And the church becomes arrogant in thinking that it can do no wrong. When in reality, an arrogant church that flagrantly throws its weight around and abuses others because they disagree, foisting a narrow-minded thought on, on others, that's a church that I don't want to be a part of. 
The close relationship of church and state also causes the church to lose its ability to criticize the state and to hold the state's feet to the fire of justice. What happens is that when the church and state are held too closely together, mutually supporting one another and holding each other in adoration, the church dares not speak out against anything that the state may do because it may lose its position of power. And thus, it stays quiet. And in its silence, it becomes a co-conspirator of injustice. That's what what happened in Germany leading up to World War II. During the 1920s and 30s, the up-and-coming Nazi party recognized that Germany had a strong Christian tradition And so even though Hitler hated Christianity, he was shrewd enough to realize that it would be wise to court the church's favor, politically speaking. He thought to himself, if if the church trusted him, then they could be excellent supporters in his rise to power. But if he alienated the church, then they could be formidable enemies. Same thing happens today. It happens today. Why do you think politicians with... No discernible relationship to any church often in their speeches by saying, God bless America. You ever thought about that? They don't have much of a relationship with God, but they just want the support of those who do. That's what Hitler did. I knew of a local politician when I was a kid, when I was growing up, who never came to church, never ever came to church except at election time. And then he joined the choir. After Hitler became chancellor in 1933, he struck a deal with the Catholic Church in which he assured the church of certain privileges in exchange for the church agreeing to remain either neutral or supportive of the Nazi regime. The Protestant church was a little more difficult. Because they didn't have the centralized hierarchy that the Catholic Church did. So Hitler suggested centralizing the Protestant Church by electing a national bishop who would have his office in the religious affairs department of his government. Some of the churches were elated that they would finally get some input into, the governmental, into governmental affairs, while others were rightfully cautious of this unholy alliance. Many formed a group called Deutsche Christen, or German Christians. And the aim of this group was the meshing of Christian doctrine with the ideology of German nationalism. Ludwig Müller was appointed to head the German Christians, which grew to around 600,000 people in the mid-1930s. And this movement espoused the, the Nazi Party's positive Christianity in which it denied which meant that it denied sin it denied humility and it stressed nationalism and the saving character of the state and so the church lost its prophetic voice calling for justice and it marched right alongside Nazism to bring it to full strength. And those Christians who did protest this movement, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller, they were dealt with with violence and death. So do you see why Baptists have strongly supported the separation of church and state? That's why I don't want to go anywhere even approaching the union of church and state. It scares me too much. It frightens me. In our early years, we were the victims of a system whereby the church and the state were wed. We were the ones, we Baptists were the ones who felt the brunt of persecution by religious slash political powers. 
And we Baptists wanted to make sure that that kind of persecution could never happen to anyone else ever again. John Leland, a Virginian and a Baptist, was thrown into jail for preaching the gospel without a license. Leland didn't take it personally. He just took it upon himself to see to it that not only was he vindicated, but also that the whole idea of religious liberty was vindicated as well. Leland saw that diverse religious opinions should not only be tolerated, but celebrated. If the Spirit of God wishes to do a new thing in the world, then the voices of God's prophets should be heard and respected, not silenced. And so Leland threw his support behind James Madison to represent Virginia at the Constitutional Convention only after extracting a promise from him that he would push for full religious liberty. Listen to Leland's view and see if you're his kind of Christian or not. He said, government has no more to do with religious opinions than it has to do with the principles of mathematics. Let every person speak freely without fear, maintaining the principles that one believes and worships according to one's own faith. Either one God or three gods or no God or 20 gods and let government protect every person in doing so. Can you vote for that? I can. And here's why. It's not the government's responsibility to propagate my kind of faith. That's mine and your responsibility. That's our responsibility. But unfortunately, many Baptists and other Christians in our country today don't understand that. A recent study of 100,000 teenagers indicated that one out of three teenagers in the United States thinks the First Amendment goes too far in granting freedom of religion and speech and press. And they think that some form of censorship might be a good idea. Hmm. Folks, we tried that in the early days of our history here in America. And our people suffered for it. The colonial idea of government-supported churches where one church has the right to limit the religious freedom of others, it was wrong-headed. And our forefathers and our foremothers felt the brunt of it. So where do we get this notion of liberty? What are the roots of this idea of religious and political freedom? Well, it's very biblical. For you see, we point to the claim that every person... Every single person on earth is created in the image of God and is therefore responsible to God, able to respond to God. So that means that if someone gets between our God and us, then that person or entity or government is in the way. It is to be where one does not belong. It is to put oneself in the place of the one mediator between God and human beings, and that is Jesus Christ. If the government is regulating your response to God, and then it's acting as a mediator between you and God. And I'm sorry, but I don't trust the government enough to do that. <laughs> History has shown that their track record is not so good. And this hones in on the on the matter better than anything else. For you see, Jesus Christ himself is the agent of true freedom in our lives. He tells us that if we continue in his word, we are truly his disciples and we will know the truth and the truth shall set us free. We are not truly free just by virtue of the fact that we're human beings. The Bible makes it clear that sin has made a slave of all of us. And it is only Christ who can truly set us free because as the Son of God, Christ alone has the power and the authority to make us into sons and daughters of God. 
But Christ does not force himself on anyone. And he surely never used the power of the government to push his agenda. No. He simply gives himself to us and calls on us to respond. But at no time does God ever coerce anyone to believe. And Baptists that are true to their roots believe that if persuasion is good enough for God in spiritual matters, then it's good enough for us in secular matters. And that means that the government should never use its power to to coerce its citizens in any matter of faith. Nor should the church use the power of the government to achieve its goals either political or religious. So you see, the First Amendment strikes just the right balance in protecting the church from the state and also protecting the state from the church. Now, some of you can plainly see how the church might need to be protected from the state, but you may be wondering, why does the state need to be protected from the church? Well, here's your answer. As the old saying goes, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I'm here to say to you that that is absolutely true. And history has shown us that when church officials have control over the power of the state, Those religious officials become filled with their own self-importance, and many of them become tyrants. We have seen it over and over and over again throughout our history. And today there are some very powerful people within the ranks of the American church who could very well become one of those tyrants. Their aim and their intention is to use the power of the government to legislate their own particular brand of Christianity. And that scares me. It began with the establishment of political slash religious organizations that were formed to elect certain candidates or to push certain political agendas, and it has been a slippery slope from there. Churches right here in our own state of Kentucky have hosted partisan political rallies. There's a church in North Carolina with a pastor who told his congregation during the last election cycle which candidate they should vote for. And if they didn't follow the party rules of the party line, they were kicked out of the church. And I heard just Friday that there was a church over in Evansville that did the same thing. And unfortunately, for many who call themselves Christians today... They show a stronger fervor for their nationalistic pride than they do for God. And in my book, that's idolatry. My friends, the people of the church should care about politics. We should be involved in local and state and national government, but the church should not try to impose its agenda on others. Rather, we should seek to persuade others with the power of God's Holy Spirit and not with the power of the government. Nor should we allow government politicians to take advantage of the networks of our churches to get their political agendas passed. A number of years ago, I was approached by a conservative religious political organization who wanted me to share with them my church membership roster so that they could try to influence my church members to vote for the candidate that they wanted to support. Well, folks, let me assure you that that will never happen as long as I'm pastor. And we should guard this pulpit with all of our might and make it very clear 
that only the gospel is to be preached in this sacred place, not politics. Be patriotic? Yes. I'm right there with you, but here in this place, God comes first. Baptists have long held that we should tell the truth and trust the people. But these days, the principles of freedom that have long been the mainstay of Baptist tradition are under assault, even within our own ranks. Brent Walker, the executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee for for, uh, Religious Liberty, he says that he's not even sure that the First Amendment would stand the test of a vote among Baptists today. And I can think of nothing sadder than that. No, I can think of nothing more frightening than that. And that's why we need sermons preached and lessons taught and institutions dedicated to the advancement and the preservation of freedom. Everybody's freedom. Everybody's freedom. For you see, if we don't promote freedom for everyone then we will not have freedom for anyone. We must all do our part. We must call the world's attention to the truth that it is Christ Jesus who sets us free. But we must utilize the weapons of the Spirit and never the sword of the state. My friends, it is the truth and only the truth that shall really set us free. And the freedom to tell that truth is a, a human right that each of us have an unending duty to protect. So let us not fail in our task of freedom. Let us speak openly and freely. Let us worship freely as we are able to do here. Let us minister freely in God's name undeterred by any secular power of human organization. And let us fight for the right of all people to do the same, regardless of whether they are in agreement with us or not. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation hymn, number 241, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. This is talking about the Spirit of God breathing onto us. And that's our true prayer. Because, folks, that's where true freedom comes from. There are people who are locked up behind bars and and, uh, being tortured every day. Because of their faith. All across this world, there are people who are persecuted because they are Christians. But many of them will tell you that even as they sit in their cells, even as they are whipped and scourged and tortured, they are free. That's what Paul said when he was in prison. Even though he was behind bars, he was free. Because Christ had set him free. That's what we truly long for. That's what true freedom is. And we're grateful for the freedoms that we have here in the the United States. But we're really grateful for the freedom that we have in Christ. Because those freedoms would be with us even if we did not have our freedoms here. And I hope you have that freedom in Christ today. And I hope that you are really and truly putting Christ number one in your life above all, all others, even our country. Even our country. Because He is above all others. And we are called to love Him and accept the forgiveness and the love that He has for us. If you have not had, had that experience, that freedom in your life, we invite you to make a commitment to Christ today.
Say yes to the freedom He offers. Say yes to the commitment to follow Him every day and to make Him your Lord. Say yes to the grace that He gives you. If you're looking for a church home to be a part of, we invite you to unite with our church today. Maybe you need a time of prayer. We will pray with you. God's dealing in your heart in any way. Please come as we sing number 241. Breathe on me, breath of God. Would you come? For freedom Christ has set us free by God's great gift of grace. Forgiven and redeemed are we, set free to live by faith. From fears that turned the day of day to night, old hurts, old wrongs, old grief, from hidden pain locked deep inside, Lord God, we are set free. From heavy burdens of the law, commands we fail to keep, From failure met along the way, Lord God, we are set free. For freedom Christ has set us free by God's great gift of grace. Forgiven and redeemed are we. Set free. Set free. To live by faith. Amen.